Well, it's good to have you watching tonight, live stream, and uh, we're, tonight we're going to look at the judgment seat of Christ, and uh, we're going to be reading out of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and so if you want to open your Bibles up there uh, while you're getting that taken care of and getting yourself set up, ready to study, uh, just remember uh, March the 7th, so that's two Sundays from now, we'll be back in person uh, uh, and live streaming our services. So that'll be a 9 a.m. in person and live stream. And also during the 9 a.m. service, we'll be having our children's church. And then 5.30 on the 7th, we'll be having our panel discussion uh, at 5.30 and then the preaching service at 6 p.m. And so getting back on schedule again. That all starts on March the 7th, and so make sure you mark that down. And be sure to be faithful in uh, sending in your tithes and free will offerings as we are uh, separated from one another, but the church is moving on and we're preaching the gospel, Christian schools open, and uh, uh, God's been blessing uh, through these trying times, and so we give him the glory and the praise for that. And so uh, we want you to be faithful in living your Christian life and being a testimony for the Lord. The judgment seat of Christ, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 1. For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon, with our house which is from heaven. If so be that uh, being clothed, we should not be found naked. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened, uh, not uh, for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon that the mortality might be swallowed up of life. Now he that hath wrought us for the selfsame thing is God, uh, who also hath given unto us the earnest of the Spirit. Therefore we are always confident, knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Wherefore we labor that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, uh, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether he be good, it be good or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your conscience. For we commend not ourselves again unto you, but give you occasion to glory on our behalf, that ye may have somewhat to answer them which glory in appearance and not in heart. For whether we be beside ourselves, it is to God. For whether we be sober, it is for your cause. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for allowing us to be together this evening. And uh, Lord, uh, it's a blessing to, to consider the scriptures when we think of the judgment of God. 
And I pray that as believers in Christ tonight, uh, you would help us to understand that our lives do count for the glory of God, and we will give an account before God uh, one day when we stand in his presence. And uh, Lord, there'll be rewards, there'll be loss of rewards. Uh, but thank you so much, Lord, that we're assured of the fact that we're secure in Christ. And so bless the preaching tonight. If someone's watching that's not saved, Lord, I pray you touch their heart and convict them with the need to receive Christ as their personal Savior. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, our text verses, verse 10, says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that every one may receive things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or, or bad. And so this matter of giving an account to ourselves, Paul said in Romans 14 in verse 10 that we are all going to give an account before the Lord. And so Bible prophecy is always exciting to consider and to study, but one area that's always neglected, it seems like, and an area we often kind of stray away from and don't want to talk too much about it, is always in the matter of the judgment of God. As we studied this morning, we looked at the great white throne judgment, and uh, oftentimes we want to focus more on the grace and the mercy and the love of God and that Jesus came in the world and died for the sins of the world. Man can be saved by the grace of God, and we believe that, we hold to that, we rejoice in that, but the reality is there is a judgment day. And if someone doesn't get saved, they're going to have to stand at the great white throne judgment as an unbeliever. But as a believer, we're going to stand before Christ at the judgment seat of Christ. The purpose of that is not for, for whether, judging or determining whether we're saved or not. The purpose of that is for a, a being a, examined in our life about the rewards or the loss of the rewards that we may experience. And so Paul says we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. The interesting thing here is that uh, that word judgment seat is the Greek word bima. And bima in the scriptures and anytime it's used is often uh, in reference to an elevated area uh, where there's a podium or whatever. And so when it talks about the Bema seat of Christ, it's used 12 times in the New Testament. It is speaking about whether someone, an individual is standing before a judge. And we're going to look at different passages that we can see how this word is used. But ultimately, Paul is talking about us standing before Jesus Christ as a judge. You know, if you go in the courtroom and you have to stand before the judge... Uh, the judge's bench is not down on your level. The judge's bench is raised up higher. And it's raised up higher because it's the Bema seat. Uh, it's the place where uh, decisions and judgments are made. And so you know, that when you talk about the Bema seat, you're acknowledging the one that is being evaluated is lower than the one who is passing the judgment. And he sits on the beam of seat. Here's a few examples. Uh, it's spoken of Jesus being before the beam of seat in, in John chapter 19 and verse 13. And we'll just look at a few of these passages where this word is used. 
in uh, John chapter 19 and verse 13, Jesus is before, before Pilate in John 19, 13. And it says this, When Pilate therefore heard the saying, he brought Jesus forth and sat down in the judgment seat in the place that is called pavement. And so here is Jesus standing before the bema seat of Pilate. And Pilate is the one who is the judge. He is the one who is in authority. He is the one that is in control. And when uh, dealing with Jesus Christ and the accusations that was brought of, uh, uh, against him, uh, the place of authority that Pilate would take would be the Bema seat, the judgment seat. In Acts chapter 12, in verse 21, uh, it's also used in reference to Herod in Acts chapter 12, in uh, verse 21, and Herod being on the Bema seat. And uh, always, always we see the one who is sitting in the Bema seat is the one who is sitting as the one who's in authority and the one who is the judge. In Acts chapter 12, in verse 21, says, And upon a set day, Herod, arrayed in royal apparel, sat upon his throne, the word throne there is a Greek word, bima, sat upon his bima and made an oration unto them. And the people gave a shout saying, it is the voice of God and not of man. And immediately the angel of the Lord smote him because he gave not God the glory and he was eaten of worms and gave up the ghost. I mean, it's a, listen, it's a serious thing to sit in the position of the one who is the judge or the one that is in authority that's sitting in the Bema seat. And as Herod would put his position himself, he would array himself in a way that he would receive the glory rather than God receiving the glory. And as a result of it, God brought his wrath and his judgment upon him. Now, Jesus Christ, when he sits in the Bema seat, he's sitting there with absolute authority and now the right to pass judgment on everyone that comes in front of him. And so we see it's spoken of Jesus before Pilate. It's spoken about Herod. It's also spoken about Paul uh, before Galileo in Acts chapter 18. In uh, well, verse, where am I at? Acts chapter 18 and verse 12. And uh, Paul would be before Galileo, and several verses here speak about this matter of the Bema seat. It says in Acts chapter 18, 12, it says, When Galileo was the deputy of Achaia, the Jews made insurrection with one accord against Paul and brought him to the judgment seat. So he's brought before the Bema seat, saying, This fellow persuadeth men to worship God contrary to the law. And Paul was now about to open his mouth. Galileo said unto the Jews, If it were a matter of wrong or wicked lewdness, O ye Jews, reason would that I should bear with you. But if it be a question of words and names and of your law, look ye to it, for I will be no judge of such matters. And he drove them from the judgment seat. And so it, he, Galileo is recognizing the authority or the, the uh, content of what he should address as sitting in that position 
of being the judge or the authority on the beam of sea. And then Paul, when he would be before Festus, it is stated the same way in Acts chapter 25, Acts chapter 25 in verse 6. And it says, when he had tarried uh, among them more than 10 days, he went down unto Caesarea and the next day, sitting on the judgment seat, commanded Paul to be brought. And so I just wanted to look at several passages where this matter of the Bema seat is used. And you see the authority, you see the, the purpose, you see the seriousness of being in that position. And Paul says, we all must stand before the judgment seat of Christ. This is a serious statement. It's not something to just be taken lightly. Oh, I know, i got to give an account before God one day. No, one day you're going to stand before the eternal judge and every aspect of your life is going to be evaluated and whether not whether you're saved because that experience is at the cross at Calvary. But certainly your life after Calvary is to be profitable for the glory of the Lord and God is going to evaluate your life. I like what J.H. Lowe said. He said, every reward suggested is a prize of a value inconceivable by us at the present and can only be appreciated at the judgment seat. Uh, when we think of rewards, God giving to us rewards for our life that we live for him, uh, it's, it's, I don't know, maybe I'm weird. It's just like, it's just a word that I'm saying. It's rewards. What's, what's those, I've had people over the years say, well, what are the rewards? We don't know what the rewards are. And so the reward, the opportunity to stand in the presence of Christ is not that life-changing for the believer because we all we think about is the rewards, but we don't take that thought process for the reward to the point that there is loss of rewards. And those losses of my reward, well, how does that impact me for eternity? Dr. Alexander McLaren said this, I believe for my part that we suffer terribly by the comparative neglect, uh, by comparative neglect, uh, neglect I'm sorry, into uh, which this side of Christian truth has fallen. He says, do you not think that it would make a difference to you if you really believed and carried away with you in your thoughts the thrilling consciousness that every act of the present was registered and would tell on the far side beyond? Do you really think, do you really think it would make a difference if we could consider that every act in our life is going to carry with it a reward or loss of reward in the, as we say, the sweet by and by? Because when we depart from this life, when Jesus Christ returns, then there is going to be a bema seat, a judgment seat that we're going to have to stand before and give an account of our life. So let's think about this judgment seat of Christ. 
First of all, I thought of the population in the judgment. In other words, the people in the judgment. Who's going to be there? Uh, if uh, he says, states here, we, should, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Uh, well, what is the people who are the people that are going to be standing there? And I believe the people in this judgment, the judgment seat of Christ, are believers in Christ. It is not the unsaved. And I think sometimes people have a tendency to get these two judgments mixed up. And uh, the great white throne judgment is for the unsaved. The judgment seat of Christ is for the saved. The great white throne judgment is to bring wrath and just judgment on the sinner, whereas the judgment seat of Christ is to bring upon the believer rewards or loss of rewards. So there are two completely different aspects of what is being judged or determined. Now, Paul would mention this matter of standing before Christ and giving an account uh, to the Romans and the book of Romans, and he would do it to the Corinthians, uh, where we've read at in this chapter, so it's very clear when Paul writes concerning the judgment seat of Christ, he is addressing believers. And just not addressing other believers, but also including himself. Because verse 10, he says, for we must all. He didn't say you all have to stand there. He said we must all stand before. And so every believer in Christ uh, is going to be the one that is going to be standing at the judgment seat of Christ. And so the people in the judgment. Notice the time of the judgment. When will this judgment take place? I believe this judgment takes place when Jesus Christ returns. And I want to look at several verses. We'll look back in Matthew chapter 16, and then we're going to work our way through the Gospels at some statements that Jesus makes. And uh, uh, first of all, oh, where am I? Oh, okay, I almost skipped down in the next point. <laughs> Matthew chapter 16 in verse 27, uh, this judgment will take place when Jesus Christ returns. Now, Matthew 16, 27, For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he shall reward every man according to the works. So Jesus Christ is when he comes to receive us in the glory, uh, he will come with the intention at that moment of uh, rewarding us for our labors and our commitment to him. And so it uh, certainly is seen very clearly uh, in Matthew chapter 16 and 27. Luke chapter 14, in Luke chapter 14 and verse 14, uh, once again, Jesus is identifying his reward at his time of coming. John, I mean, Luke chapter 14 and verse 14, and then he says, And thou shalt be blessed, for they cannot recompense thee, for thou shalt be recompensed at the resurrection of the just. And so we know when the trump of God sounds, the dead in Christ shall rise first. Uh, then we which are alive will be caught up in the air to meet the Lord in the air. And we will be with each other uh, throughout all eternity. But realize this, when the rapture takes place, the resurrection of the just takes place, uh, there is the judgment seat of Christ we have to face. 
there is this giving an account of our life uh, before the Lord. And so in Revelation 22 and 12, Jesus said, Behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me. And so everything in aspect of the time frame of the judgment seat of Christ is clear that it takes place when Jesus comes again. So the population of the judgment. Secondly, I see the intention of the judgment. In other words, why, why would we have to stand before the judgment seat of Christ? First of all, remember, it is not a judgment or a condemnation of sin. And, and, and when I say that, I'm saying that in reference to sin that keeps us lost. Uh, because we know that whatever works we have that are generated by sinful conduct, there is a loss of reward. But this great uh, uh, judgment seat of Christ uh, is not about be condemning us in our sin and that we are lost. In John chapter 3 and verse 18 says, He that believeth on him is not condemned. And so if you've trusted Christ as your Savior, when you stand at the judgment seat of Christ, it is not for the purpose of being condemned because of your sin, because you've already had the sin under the blood at Calvary. In John chapter 3 and verse 36 says, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth upon him. So two different individuals in that verse. And the two different individuals is one who has believed on Christ has everlasting life. So the judgment seat of Christ is not for the purpose of determining whether I have everlasting life or not. Because that has been determined at Calvary. However... The intention of this judgment, it is a judgment of service. Notice in our text verse in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. So this judgment, the judgment seat of Christ, is about service. One of the things about with this pandemic, with this COVID-19, uh, people have lost confidence. They've, lost, they've been overwhelmed with fear uh, that they literally are not in church. And we, we're shut down right now. And we're going to be opening up two weeks from now. Uh, but I have watched over since March of last year that what it has done is, has caused or created a disconnect with the church when it comes to service, when it comes to doing something for God, when it comes to living for others, uh, there has been a total disconnect because people are not in the church. And, and I, believe, I believe that we're going to have to give an account of that. I believe we're going to have to give an account of our life. Uh, in reference to our service, what we have or have not done for Christ. What we have or have not done in reference to living for others. And so uh, notice, first of all, when we think about this, there is a, a loss of rewards. And uh, Second John in uh, verse 8, a loss of rewards. I don't want to get too much in Second John. I'm planning on preaching on Second John next week. 
But uh, in 2 John, it, it's interesting that when he talks about deceivers and the, and the spirit of Antichrist uh, that is in the world about the things that believers lost in 2 John uh, chapter, of course, there's only one chapter, verse 8. He says, look to yourselves. In other words, self-evaluation. Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. And so it is significant and it is important when we consider the judgment seat of Christ for us to acknowledge the fact that there is a rewarding process and a loss of reward process. And so we want to uh, identify those things that cause us to lose things. Notice, first of all, in this matter of living for temporal things. In other words, just living for things that are here and then gone. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I know I got you looking at a, Bible, a lot of Bible verses, but that's good for us to do that. In uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, in uh, verse 12, notice Paul says, Now if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble. And here it is. Every man's work shall be made manifest. For the day shall declare it. What day is that? The judgment seat of Christ. For the day shall declare it. Because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved yet as by fire. And so notice it is a, not a loss of salvation, but it is a loss of rewards because you focus on things that are only temporary rather than things that are eternal. Jesus said, uh, seek ye first the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. And oftentimes we live our life seeking the things that are of the world and we wonder why we're not being rewarded uh, in this life and ultimately in eternal life. And so it is a loss of, uh, of rewards because it's about our service of God and the serving one another. So living life for temporary things. Living life of sin will cause us to lose our rewards also. And uh, in, in Romans chapter 14, and I'll just read this for you in verse 23, it says, And he that doubteth is damned if he eat, because he eateth not of faith, for whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Now that's a tremendous statement. Uh, without faith, Hebrews tells us, it's impossible to please him. Uh, and so uh, living our life and responding to our uh, living for Christ and helping others uh, deals with actions uh, that can be sinful, that it can cause us to lose our rewards. Uh, James 4, 17 says, To him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. And we all, often don't think in that realm and in, the, in that dynamic that 
I know what's right, and I know what's good, and I know how I'm supposed to live, but I'm choosing not to do it. To him that does that, it's, it, you're in sin. And if we're in sin, then sin negates the reward that God would have or could have for us. And when, well, that, listen, that will all, you say, well, what, 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 what is sinful or what is not of faith? What is, I, I don't know all the things that are on in your life, but I know one thing. When you stand before Christ, it's going to be brought to light. Uh, there'll be nothing hid. Uh, when we stand before the Lord. So our actions uh, can show forth a sinful life that causes us to look to the future and lose our reward. But I thought of attitude. Uh, Joshua tells us, uh, told the children of Israel, choose you this day whom you serve. And uh, it had, they had to make a choice. Was it going to be the God of, of uh, Israel, or was it going to be the gods that were on the other side of the flood? Was it going to be the gods of the Egyptians or the gods of the Canaanites? You have to choose that. Uh, you have to have a right attitude and a right spirit about who Christ is and uh, whether you're going to surrender your life to him or not. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, in uh, verse 8, Paul says here, I speak not by commandment, but by occasion of the forwardness of others to prove the sincerity of your love. See, our attitude and our actions show forth the attitude or the, the spirit that we have in reference to our love for Christ. For He goes on to says, For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich." And so he gives us this spirit and idea about what he's talking about in this matter of living a life for temporary things, living a life that is sinful, but also this matter of living a life of apathy, uh, living a life of apathy. We see that in Matthew chapter 5, uh, many, many believers uh, oftentimes uh, live their life with the spirit of apathy, just kind of living status quo. Just basically, well, you know, we get up to we, we get up and read our Bible, we get up and pray. Maybe uh, we get up, we go to work, we we get up, we come to church. Or nowadays, we don't go to church. We determine whether we're going to watch live stream or not watch live stream, and and we just kind of live our life just getting along. That's living with a spirit of apathy. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 45, describes this for us. It says, that ye might be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his Son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and the unjust. And so this is what happens. It's like, well, the sun came up yesterday. It's going to come up tomorrow. Well, you know, we really don't have any problems in America with persecution upon Christians. And so we'll just continue to live and just don't worry about what's going on in the world that we're living in. That's living a life that's just status quo. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden it catches up to you. Because the things that you thought would continue all of a sudden no longer continue. The reality is the sun, he maketh the sun shine on the evil and on the just, it says in our verse 45 of Matthew 5, 
Uh, but you do understand that this heaven and this earth are going to be done away with. There's going to be a time when the sun's not going to come up. And the Christian is to live his life in the realm of the expectation of the coming of Christ with joy and anticipation, not with a spirit of apathy. And you can tell if you have a spirit of apathy if you're just living a life of status quo. I'm just doing what I always do every day just to get through life. You're going to give an account for that when you stand before Christ. Not only that, but this matter of living a life of apathy involves most people living a life for recognition. Notice in Matthew, we're in Matthew 5, so look at Matthew 6. In verse 1, he says, Take heed that you do not your alms before men to be seen of them. Otherwise, you have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. And so to live a life of apathy literally is to live your life longing to be recognized by man. In the, in, and you listen, you might get recognized in this life, but when you get before Christ, there'll be no recognition whatsoever. And the recognition that you get in this world is only temporary. But the recognition that you receive at the judgment seat of Christ is an eternal reward. And so why would we choose to live a life of apathy and put ourselves in danger of losing rewards? Then most people like to live without a real sense of whom we serve. In Colossians, I'll just read this for you. In Colossians chapter 3, in verse 23, it says, For what, uh, for whatsoever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord, and not unto men. We living our Christian life is not to get recognition, acknowledgement from man, and to appease man. We living our Christian life is to please the Lord. And verse 24 says that uh, knowing that of the Lord you shall receive the reward of the inheritance for you serve the Lord Christ. And so many Christians are in danger at the judgment seat of Christ of losing rewards because of the fact that they're living a life of apathy. Uh, here's a good quote I came across. It says, most Christians live a life of ignorance and apathy. If you were to question them about the times in which we live, they would respond, I don't know and I don't care. And that's where most people are living their life. And they're not taking in consideration at all that they're going to have to stand before Christ and give an account of their life. And as a result of it, they're going to lose rewards. But this judgment of service is also for the purpose of, of gaining rewards. It's not just a matter of losing rewards, but this matter of gaining rewards. Um, and a crown, as we're going to look at some crowns in the scriptures, a crown is evidence of victory. Uh, a, a, a leader, uh, a ruler, a king, a pharaoh, or whatever would wear his crown, and it was a symbol of victory. Uh, it was a symbol that he was, has had success and he was in control of all things. Matthew chapter 10 and verse 41 and 42, and I'll read this for you. 
says, he that receiveth a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And he that receiveth a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whosoever shall give to drink unto one of these little ones a cup of cold water, only in the name of a disciple, verily I say unto you, he shall in no wise lose his reward. And so there is this concept about this gaining rewards, not just gaining rewards in this life, but gaining rewards at the judgment seat of Christ. Now, there's several crowns that are mentioned in the Bible, and I'm just going to read the verses for you. You can jot down the scripture reference and look it up later. Uh, but the Bible talks about an incorruptible crown, an incorruptible crown. If the crown is a symbol of victory and the crown is a symbol of reward that comes from the Lord, uh, then the incorruptible crown would be given or received, I should say, uh, as the results of a disciplined life, an incorruptible crown. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and 25, jot that verse down and you can read it later. 1 Corinthians 9, 25 says, And every man that striveth for mastery is temporal in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. And so think of this, when we think about the judgment seat of Christ, the, the way we live our life, the way we serve one another, the way we serve Jesus Christ is not for the, uh, being a position of man's recognition and acknowledgement, but rather to get in the presence of God and receive an incorruptible crown. A crown is something that we can cast at the feet of Jesus and worship the Lord. It's something that we can lay down as acknowledging his move and his blessing in our life. And so we're not striving for the temporary crown. We're corruptible crown. We're looking for the incorruptible crown that speaks of a disciplined life. Then the Bible talks about a crown of rejoicing. And uh, when you look at the crown of rejoicing, that certainly would identify with the results of soul winning. Uh, we know that because 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 19, it's a good verse to write down and to read later, but 1 Thessalonians 2, 19 says, For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? And he goes on and says, And are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? You know, one of the great things will be when we get to heaven, uh, every person that you led to Christ uh, will be a crown, as it were, uh, of rejoicing in your heart because of the fact there's someone that has been delivered and he does not have to stand before the great white throne judgment because you led them to Jesus Christ. Paul said his hope, his rejoicing, his excitement, his thrill was that, wait a minute, every person he led to the Lord was going to be in the presence of Christ when Jesus Christ comes again. The crown of rejoicing. I see in the scriptures there's a crown of righteousness. And the crown of righteousness would speak of complete holiness. Now, the Bible still says we're supposed to be holy, 
I, I know the present day Christianity tries to say, well, it doesn't matter how you live. God looks on the heart. Uh, you're right. God does look on the heart, but he has given commands on what we're supposed to do in our body also. And so this crown of righteousness is complete holiness. Second Timothy chapter four and verse eight says, henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. And so this crown of righteousness, I'm glad that we have received the righteousness of Christ. And because we've received the righteousness of Christ, in this world, I don't have to live my life in an apathetic way. I can live my life with joy and excitement and an expectation that as he is holy, I can be holy. Because he has given me his righteousness, and I know this, that as I live a life of holiness, that when I get in the presence of the Lord, uh, there's a crown of righteousness that we can receive. I see also in the scriptures a crown of life. A crown of life would represent faithful endurance. And I'm thankful that when we're saved, we're saved for all eternity. I'm thankful when we're saved, we're secure in Christ. In James in chapter 1 and verse 12, James 1, 12, says, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. And so oftentimes we say, well, is it really worthwhile to endure through the temptations in life and go through the struggles in life and just keep going on? Yes, it is. Because at the judgment seat of Christ, there's a crown of life that you receive uh, for your righteous uh, endurance. And then I see a crown of glory, a crown of glory, according to 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 4, a crown of glory would represent faithful service. In other words, it is worthwhile to live for Christ. It is worthwhile to be different than everyone else. It is worthwhile to show forth the testimony and the praises of God as we live out the life of Christ. And so a crown of glory would be faithful service. First Peter chapter 5 and verse 4, it says that when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. Uh, when we often sing that song, it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. And I'm going to tell you, sometimes you wonder, is it worthwhile trying to serve, be faithful in serving God? Oh, yes, it will be. It will be worth it all. Is it going to be worth enduring uh, through the trials and temptations? Oh, yes, it will. It will be worth it all. Why? Because just as serious as it is that we can lose rewards at the judgment seat of Christ, there is going to be the giving out of rewards at the judgment seat of Christ. Are you going to receive a reward or are you going to lose the reward? And so we see the population of the judgment. We see the intention of the judgment. And the last thought is this. We see the motivation of the judgment. And uh, look over in Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. The motivation of the judgment. Uh, first of all, the motivation is the fear of retribution. <laughs> 
Uh, people say, well, you know, I shouldn't put people on guilt trips. It's not a matter, matter about be putting people on guilt trips. It's a matter of being honest about what God requires of us. And listen, the commandments of the Lord are not grievous. Uh, God does not command us and direct us and instruct us to do something that we are not able to do. In Luke chapter 12, in verse 42, a great parable that Jesus gives here, Luke chapter 12, in verse 22, and he says, The Lord said, Who then is that faithful and wise steward whom his Lord shall make ruler over his household and to give them their portion of the meat in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. Of a truth I say unto you that he will make him ruler over all that he hath. But and if that servant say in his heart, My Lord delayeth his coming, and shall begin to beat the men's servants and maids, and to eat and drink and to be drunken, the Lord of that servant will come in a day when he looketh not for him, and at an hour when he is not aware, and will, be cu will cut him in sunder, and will appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. And that servant, which knew his Lord's will, and prepared not himself, neither did according to his will, shall be beaten with many stripes. But he that knew not and did commit things worthy of stripes shall be beaten with few stripes. For unto whomsoever much is given, of him shall be much required and to whom men have committed much of him they shall they will ask the more the fear of retribution first corinthians 4 2 says moreover is required of stewards that a man be found faithful god has put you in a position of stewardship of all his blessings in your life the stewardship of your life the stewardship of the properties you have, the stewardship of the finances that you have, the stewardship of your health that you have, the stewardship of friends, family, whatever. God has put you in a position of being responsible for them. And you say, well, why should I care or why should I be concerned or why should I live my way life as a faithful steward? Because there is a, a, a danger of losing your rewards just as quickly that there is a blessing of being able to receive rewards. And so the motivation of the judgment seat of Christ, it motivates me when I fear the retribution of God. I don't want to lose rewards. There is also, I thought of this, uh, the thrill of occupation. In Matthew chapter 25, in verse 21, you know, while you're turning over Matthew chapter 25 in uh, verse 21, you know, in Luke 19, 13, Jesus said this to his disciples, occupy till I come. And uh, to occupy till I come means to carry out the business that he leaves you in charge of. And in Matthew chapter 25 and 21 says, And his Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I'll make you the ruler over many things. 
Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. He also that received two talents came and said, Lord, thou deliverest me uh, unto me two talents. Behold, I have gained two other talents besides them. And his Lord said unto him, Well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. You know, the motivation, the motivation of being prepared to stand at the judgment seat of Christ is the reality that it is a thrill to occupy. It is a thrill. God has you here for a purpose. Your life is in his hand. Uh, God is not taking you to glory. Then there is something that God wants you to accomplish in this life. I remember my mother, uh, as she got uh, older there, and, and she could not go out, and she couldn't get to church, and there's a lot of things she just couldn't, you know, she was not mobile anymore. And I remember her saying, I don't know why the Lord just doesn't take me. I remember saying, she's, I wanted to see her. She said, Michael, I don't understand why the Lord just doesn't take me to heaven. I'm no good to anybody. That's what she said. I'm just sitting here and I'm no good. I said, Mom, if you're alive, there is breath coming out of your lungs, then God has you here for a reason. And, it, and I, I don't want to say it this way, but the reality is we often think it this way. If it is not for anything else but then to spend the day praying for others, then bless God, let God use you to be a blessing to someone else. What is that? That's occupying until he comes. Occupying until he takes me to glory. And so the motivation for me to be prepared and ready to stand at the judgment seat of Christ is not just the fear of retribution, but the excitement of living my Christian life in this world. So the thrill of occupation. And then I just put down as a last thought here, uh, what is the motivation of the judgment is the desire to be a champion. <laughs> uh, you know, the Apostle Paul uh, said in Philippians chapter 3, and verse 14, I press towards the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. What did Paul say? I want to win. I don't want to lose. I don't want to be a failure as a Christian. I, I, don't want to, I, I don't want to come to, after 30, I've been saved for 35 years or so now. I don't, I don't want to, next year, two years from now, three years from now, uh, have people look and say, hear people talking and say, you know, yeah, Mike Waggle, he really preached for a long time, uh, but he doesn't preach anymore. Uh, I, I don't want to hear people say, you know, that, you know Mike Waggle, you know, he, did, he lived for God, but he doesn't live for God anymore. I, I don't want to come to the end of my life and lose the fight. I don't want to come to the end of my life and lose the opportunity to continue for Christ because I know this, that when I get to the judgment seat of Christ, there's a reward waiting for me. And so the Christian is to be motivated to win, we are on the winning side, then let's live and act like we're on the winning side. You say, why should I do that? Because there's a judgment seat of Christ. You're not going to escape that. So why not just enjoy your life as a Christian? Why not serve Christ with, a, with excitement and thrill? Why not sacrifice and give and help others and, and have the joy of the Lord that's uh, full of glory and, and, and just... Knowing, just knowing that, wait a minute, what awaits me 
is not the terror of the Lord. That's why in verse 11 of our text chapter, Paul says, Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. But we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your conscience. And so I, I don't want to live under terror. I want to live in the realm of joy and excitement and expectation. Uh, and knowing that we get, I remember I was in the Marine Corps when I was in boot camp. And one of the things I thought about is I want to get to the end of boot camp. And, and if you were in the top levels of your, your platoon, uh, you would get a meritorious promotion to PFC. Yeah, I mean, that was a big deal to be able to go through boot camp training and to be able to graduate a PFC, no longer a private. And I ended up getting the measles in the, I couldn't believe it. I got the measles when I was in boot camp, was quarantined for two weeks. And so I, lo I was dropped out of my platoon, blah, blah, blah. I'll make a long story shorter. Uh, uh, I, I didn't make it because of the fact of being put into another platoon. And I, I know after that, I went to ITR, infantry training, and I thought, I, I want to work, I want to strive, I want to be the best that I can, because when I come out of ITR, I want to be a private first class. I want to be a PFC. I want that meritorious promotion. And I worked hard and everything. When I graduated from infantry, ITR, uh, I graduated as a PFC. I got a meritorious promotion. And all of my promotions, I got out of the Marine Corps, I was a sergeant, E-5 sergeant. Five promotions were all meritorious promotions, every one of them. I was promoted before I was supposed to be promoted. And you say, what has that got to do with anything? I, I'm telling you, I, I didn't do that, just do what I was supposed to do as a Marine, just out of duty. I did it because I wanted a reward. I wanted to get the prize. I wanted to go beyond apathy and status quo. I wanted to, to live in the realm of the extra that was available. And Christian, we have so much extra that is available to us if we get out of the spirit of apathy and just status quo in our lives. We are going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and I don't want to stand there and losing rewards. I want to stand there gaining rewards. You say that's prideful. No, because every reward I gain is an opportunity to me to offer to Christ in worship and praise. So we all shall stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Every one of us. That's the population. The intention is to determine whether you're going to gain rewards or lose rewards. And so the motivation is, let's get on with it. Amen. <laughs> let's get fired up for God. Let's be excited for Christ. And knowing this, uh, that there is a reward waiting for us when we get into eternity. Well, I hope that was a blessing to you tonight. I hope that was a help to you. And uh, the judgment seat of Christ. Two great judgments in the Bible. The judgment of the works of the believer and then the judgment of the sins of the wicked. And I'll tell you, two completely different outcomes. And I'm thankful that I'm a Christian, I'm a believer, and I'll stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for allowing us to be together tonight. Uh, thank you for the joy of the Lord. Uh, thank you, Lord, for the thrill 
of what it's going to be like when we get in the presence of Jesus Christ. Uh, Lord, it's so exciting uh, to be a Christian. And yet, Lord, we allow the world, we allow the flesh, we allow the devil uh, to rob us of the joy of living that life of service of our King and our Lord, Jesus Christ. Bless us, stir us, empower us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.